The Christian Atheist is also available on YouTube, and you will find other great content, including the literature I frequently refer to, on our Simple Gifts podcast. If you find our content helpful, consider supporting us through PayPal at RomansChapter5 at Comcast.net. Welcome to the Christian Atheist, where faith and reason fuse in the Incarnation. Episode number 55. Are we living in George Orwell's 1984? Part 3. We noted at the end of our last episode that there are two competing visions. That of the traditional Western world, upon which science is founded, which Orwell calls the empirical habit of thought, and the view of Oceania's ruling party. The difference between the two parties lies deep, at our most fundamental conceptions of reality itself. The empirical habit of thought seeks, through the use of language, to express a transcendent truth, to reach toward a transcendent reality, believing that language helps us point to, to express that truth, and that in learning about transcendent reality, we learn how best to conform our practice and thoughts to it. This is the path of science. And it is this perspective of a reality independent and superior to human rationality that Oceania's ideology rejects. The party denies any such transcendent reference. For them, truth is infinitely malleable, not settled. And reality is not something to which we should conform ourselves, but something which human reason forms and shapes at will to its own purposes. Though, of course, who gets to shape it, and who decides what is true and what is false, is solely a matter of dominance, of power plays. Winston, in 1984, trying desperately to cling to the objective, scientific, and traditional view of the world, declares to his torturer, O'Brien, quote, But the world itself is only a speck of dust, and man is tiny, helpless. How long has he been in existence? For millions of years the earth was uninhabited. Nonsense, responds O'Brien. The earth is as old as we are, no older. How could it be older? Nothing exists except through human consciousness. But the rocks are full of the bones of extinct animals, mammoths and mastodons, and enormous reptiles which lived here long before man was ever heard of. Have you ever seen those bones, Winston? Of course not. Nineteenth-century biologists invented them. Before man, there was nothing. After man, if he could come to an end, there would be nothing. Outside man, there is nothing. End quote. This perspective, of course, is not new. It was the sophist, Protagoras, who famously declared, Man is the measure of all things. A radical relativism against which Socrates, Plato, and Aristotle marshaled their considerable intellectual resources in favor of traditional Western objectivism. And science deniers? The left today takes no backseat to the fundamentalists here. 
Winston, too, objects. Quote, But the whole universe is outside us. Look at the stars. Some of them are millions of light years away. They are out of our reach forever. What are the stars? said O'Brien indifferently. They are bits of fire a few kilometers away. We could reach them if we wanted to, or we could blot them out. For certain purposes, of course, that's not true. When we navigate the ocean, or when we predict an eclipse, we often find it convenient to assume that the earth goes round the sun, and that the stars are millions upon millions of kilometers away. But what of it? Do you suppose it is beyond us to produce a dual system of astronomy? The stars can be as near or as distant according as we need them. Do you suppose our mathematicians are unequal to that? Have you forgotten doublethink? End quote. We can conceive of women as a sacrosanct and oppressed class, as we did starting in the 1970s enshrining women's rights in the sacred heaven of ideological usefulness. And then, when convenient in the 2010s, we can eliminate any distinction between the sexes, making gender an entirely fluid conception. Men can be women, and women men. And those sacred rights to autonomy we enshrined only decades ago, they must give way to a newly sacred right to choose our sexuality. Even though in doing so, we deny the reality of the category distinctions being chosen. Women no longer have the right to privacy in their bathrooms and locker rooms. We need no longer segregate male and female prisoners, a deliberate invitation to rape. Men can compete against women in women's sports, so much for Title IX protections, making the best women athletes those who lack female genitalia, and slapping in the face those women who gave their lives to become the best in their sports, all in the name of that foolish and antiquated notion of having two sexes. And now, on a dime, when the sacred right of abortion is threatened, we again take up those sacred rights we denied only moments before. We again claim a distinction between men and women. Now, it is the toxically masculine men who have no right to determine what a woman does with her body. Wait, can I now safely again use that binary pronoun? Quote, Winston shrank back upon his bed. And yet he knew, he knew that he was in the right. The belief that nothing exists outside your own mind, surely there must be some way of demonstrating that it was false. Had it not been exposed long ago as a fallacy? There was even a name for it, which he had forgotten. A faint smile twitched at the corners of O'Brien's mouth as he looked down at him. I told you, Winston, he said that metaphysics is not your strong point. The word you are trying to think of is solipsism, but you are mistaken. This is not solipsism. Collective solipsism, if you like, but that is a different thing. In fact, the opposite thing. All this is a digression, 
he added in a different tone. The real power, the power we have to fight for day and night, is not power over things, but over men. End quote. We have two issues here. First, it is instructive to note that what we are dealing with is not solipsism, but collective solipsism, and that that is a different thing. In fact, the opposite thing. In these ideologies, subjectivism is absolute, supreme. Indeed, it is God, an ultimate power to which reality itself and all individuals must submit. But it is a collective, not an individual subject, like Hegel's spirit. It is solipsistic in that nothing, no greater power or reality exists outside itself. This, ultimately, is the meaning of absolute in Hegel's absolute idealism, of which these ideologies are examples. As Orwell notes, this is the opposite of individualism and the natural rights tradition that conceives rights as transcendent, quote, laws of nature and of nature's God, as it says in our Declaration of Independence, conferred upon each individual human being. Rights here are granted by the collective, not inherent in the individual, and as such are ephemeral and revocable whenever it is convenient to the collective will, as our examples above illustrate. By its very structure, then, collective solipsism tyrannizes the individual. Quote, The real power, the power we have to fight for night and day, is not power over things, but over men. End quote. Cooperation between sovereign individuals in mutual support of disparate goals is that which must be destroyed. Value itself, on the collectivist view, is a social construct, and thus all values for which the party stands are corrigible and transitory, including values like social justice, diversity, equity, and inclusion, and even kindness. If they are embraced now by the collectivists, it is because they are useful. When they cease to be useful, they will cease to be valued. It is evidence now. Diversity has value only skin deep. Equity only in outcomes. And inclusion means exclusion of anything differing from orthodoxy. Likewise, being kind today means being willfully blind to cruelty in the direction you refuse to look. We can be kind to the trans man who wants to use women's bathrooms and dominate women's sports only by being unkind to women. I can already hear the screams in response. We are not being unkind to women at all! And those screams are prima facie evidence of the blindness. Any true ethics 
cannot be adherence to one chosen virtue. It must be a complex balance that honestly attempts to fulfill the whole of virtue. Admittedly, this is difficult. Indeed, impossible. But this does not excuse us from the categorical imperative to do what is right. More on this next time. The second issue here is language. Language in Oceania, and in our progressive culture today, is a tool or a weapon wielded to achieve an end. As such, fixed meanings, definite references, clarity of expression, rigid boundaries, etc., can only be allowed when it is useful to allow them and must be abolished whenever they are no longer useful. The science is real, placard, pasted on every other residence in America today, like the term black-white, has many meanings and applications, all of which depend upon the goal of their use. Applied to a party member, black-white means a loyal willingness to say that black is white, when party discipline demands this. But it also means the ability to believe that black is white. And, more, to know that black is white, and to forget that one has ever believed the contrary. This demands a continuous alteration of the past, made possible by the system of thought which really embraces all the rest, and which is known in Newspeak as doublethink. End quote. It is difficult to overstate how real this has become in contemporary society. We noted this Hegelian tendency to doublethink in our analysis of the definition of atheism, episodes 28 through 33, which both asserts and denies the proposition God does not exist both embraces the faith of atheism and denies it as faith. We see it in contemporary revisionist history, like the 1619 Project, the tearing down of historical statues, the popular takedowns of figures like George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, Abraham Lincoln, Booker T. Washington, and Martin Luther King, Jr. They claim both that history matters, that it objectively supports their ideological assertions, and that it is infinitely malleable, subjective, written by oppressors in support of their oppression, that absolute truth is a fantasy, and that their opponents are denying absolute truth, that power is the underlying motive in all political action, and that they are concerned with justice and morality not power. Doublethink, in short, is what Jean-Paul Sartre called bad faith, lies that we knowingly tell and deny telling to ourselves and others in pursuit of some end. I am a Christian with the searching and skeptical mind of an atheist. I don't want to believe anything that isn't true. I know both sides of the looking glass, and I know them with open eyes. I choose Christ's side. 
I invite you to join me from wherever you stand before the looking glass. That's this week's episode. Thanks for listening. And remember, you can have your religious cake and eat it too. You can have reason, respect for science, a 21st century worldview, and be a Christian.